You are now tuned in to Project Legacy, the podcast. On this episode, I have the pleasure of sitting down and talking to an amazing woman by the name of Maya, who is not only an inspiration to me, but should be an inspiration to you all. On this episode, we tackle the topic of intentionally supporting the Black community, as well as the Black experience in America and HBCUs. This is a good one you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Project Legacy, the podcast. I'm Tanady, your host, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Maya. <laughs> Hi, Maya. How are you today? I am good. How are you? I am good. Excited to be having this conversation. Very, very excited. And like we were talking beforehand, like, you know, this is just something that I've always really wanted to talk about with somebody. Rooting for the Black community, supporting people of color, um, and just really embodying that as a whole. And, you know, I just feel like, again, you are the perfect person to have this conversation with because I feel like you do embody just that. Um, And I can't remember exactly what it was that made it finally click that it was you that I was going to choose for this episode. But I am so grateful that you agreed to come on. So before we even start, thank you for sharing your time with me and, you know, being so willing to have this conversation today. Thank you for having me. No problem. (laughs) So the very first question in true Project Legacy form is who is Maya? Right now at this moment, who are you? Yes. Um, So I am a wife of five years to a wonderful Black man. Um, I am an older sister, um, and that means a lot to me, especially during the pandemic, um, when everything really started to get crazy back in March and April. Um, My sisters, actually, both of them, one from LA, one from Maryland, moved in with us (laughs) for about two months. Um, So our household size doubled. It's really just me, my husband, and our dog. And so um, really gave an opportunity one, I mean, living in a house with two extra adults was interesting. Um, (laughs) But I hadn't lived in the same house with my siblings, since I went off to college. Um, So really having the opportunity to live together again, to reconnect, to get to know each other, like we always kept in touch. But now it's like daily, or at least several times a week that we're talking to each other, because we really had that chance to rebond. Um, So that is something that's really, really important to me. I am an HBCU graduate of the illustrious Howard University. Shout out to Kamala. Um, (laughs) And I am an HR professional and I am passionate about all things Black business. Yes, ma'am. I love that. Great way to segue right into our first comment, first question. So one thing that you are super uber proud of is being a Howard alum, which I absolutely love because if I could have gone, I would have had loved to gone to an HBCU. Now more specific, because I feel like when I was in high school, like HBCUs just weren't, what is the word? Not publicized, but like a lot of people around me weren't talking about HBCUs, you know, like Boston, as you know, is like super white racist internally, you know, like we have a lot of racial Um, racist systems um, in place, including our educational system. So like HBCUs just weren't a part of my conversation. I I wasn't in circles that talked about HBCUs, but I would love to kind of have you talk about your decision to go to an HBCU. Like, was that always your plan? Like, was there a moment when you were just like, nope, this is what I'm going to do? And then also just like, what was the experience like for you as an alum of an HBCU or going through that process? Yeah, so um, a little bit about my background. Um, I was born and mostly raised um, in Detroit. So I grew up in an environment where there was a fully functioning black class. Like, and Mm. what I mean by that is you had each of the classes represented just within the black community. And so that is a privilege. I mean, it really is. And I didn't realize until after we moved out of Detroit, like how much of a privilege that was and how much that was a foundation of just who I am. And so moving from Detroit, we then moved to Cincinnati um, and then moved um, to Indianapolis for like the last two years of my high school. And um, Cincinnati, I was in a, a predominantly black school, which I 
enjoyed. But then when it came to high school, my mom had put me into private school, which was an all girls, mostly white private school um, Mm -hmm. that I was just miserable in. Um, So then we ended up moving to Indianapolis um, and I went to high school here for a couple of years. Um, even though it was more diverse and I had some people that I connect, that I, you know, was able to connect with a lot more than my previous high school, I still just felt like, man, this is just not, this just doesn't feel like the environment that I am comfortable in. Right. Um, and so, and that I can be my authentic self. Um, and so as I was looking at colleges, I looked at, you know, PWIs and HBCUs, really went back and forth a lot about the decision. Ultimately, um, I remember my, I think it was my junior year, um, fall break, we did an HBCU tour. So like I had give huge props to my mom for really making sure that we went to go see all these schools. Um, So we drove all along the coast and we saw um, basically anything that was from, um, Atlanta, kind of all the way up to to DC. Um, So we stopped at a bunch of different HBCUs. And I remember getting to Howard. um, And at that point, I hadn't decided fully on going to an HBCU. um, But I had kind of come down to, you know, two PWIs and then one HBCU that I was going to consider. And when I stepped on campus, I just felt like this, this is it. This is where I feel like I can be myself. This feels like home. This feels, I mean, even you, you go through all these campus tours and all that when you go to all these other campuses and just, I mean, even just the authenticity that I felt kind of walking through campus was just so, um, it just really stuck with me. And when I left, like, I just knew that that is where I needed to be. Um, and to your point about, you know, when we were growing up, people didn't really talk about HBCUs. And I love, 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 love how much pub HBCUs are getting right now. Like, I yes. think that it is amazing for the next generation, because there's some people who like, have told me flat out, like, I didn't even know that HBCUs were, a, were still like a thing, really. I thought that there were just a couple of little small ones. Or, you know, the the ones that are in Atlanta, and they thought that was like the extent of the HBCU. So I love that that is being pushed. And I love that they're highlighting how many amazing things people from HBCUs have accomplished and continue to accomplish. And so I think that is one of the best things that we can do for our upcoming generation of Black leaders is just to, to say like, hey, if you choose to still go to a PWI, that's cool. Do what feels right for you, but know that HBCUs are here. You can get a great education. You'll have a great experience and you are amongst amazing people within our community. That is awesome. That is awesome. And I didn't know that. And you just brought up a good point too, that I want to go back and circle back to in regard to being in a predominantly black classroom and like feeling like that was a privilege. Was that something, do you feel like, or do you know if that was something intentional by your parents? Like, was that something that was important for them as parents to make sure that that was the experience you had? Or was that just like Mm -hmm. due to circumstances? Because I'm just interested as a parent myself. Like, I think it's so dope that you have that. Um, So I'm just wondering if your parents intentionally made sure you had that experience. Yeah, um, I think a little bit of both. I think that like just, by nature of Detroit being the way that it is, mm-hmm. it's just really the majority population there um, for a lot of the time has been mostly Black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that was just a privilege of living and growing up um, for part of my life in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that I can't say it wasn't intentional um, because, you know, my parents did decide to stay in Detroit to raise their children. Uh Um, But I think that that was probably an unintentional foundation of just who I am because that was my experience. Dope. Yeah, because I think it it really, because hearing that, it just like strikes a chord with me because it's like, I have my children, but here like, you know, in Massachusetts, like we always want the best for our kids, right? And that has always been taught to us to be, the more pri- the private schools, the predominantly white schools that are on the outskirts. Like we even have, I don't know if medical is everywhere, but I know here in Massachusetts, we have the medical program, um, which basically buses students out into these suburban communities um, and they attend those public schools. So the kids mm. are a part of that, but 
Like, I feel like as a parent, especially in these more recent times, which we're going to touch on, it's kind of bothered me a little bit, the community that my children are kind of forced to be in. And that's Mm -hmm. like my choice. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, me and dad made this decision to send them off to these schools. Now we're in this very weird time socially and you know, it's uncomfortable. It is very Mm -hmm. uncomfortable as a parent. So, you know, that's why I was interested to know that. We'll definitely get into that too. So one other question that I have for you specifically about the HBU experience, um, HBCU experience, sorry, is as um, a youth worker, I have a bunch of kids who have the same experience, go to school, even in Boston, a lot of our schools are like predominantly white, like the um, exam schools, for example. And I always tell these kids, I'm like, no, you guys got to get out. Once you have a choice to pick where you're going to learn, I'd rather you guys be in the majority versus the minority, like you've been basically your whole life. What would you kind of say to those kids? Like, do you agree that that should be something that they look into? Like, how would you go about that as somebody who's had that experience? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing, like, it's interesting because once I got dropped into a majority white environment, like, that just felt mm-hmm. so foreign for who I was. And so mm-hmm. I think that for me, like, really clinging on to that authenticity and, like, not allowing my environment to change who I am at my core just so that I can feel comfortable, mm-hmm. um, I think just really digging into, like, what are the things that you enjoy and how can you bring those things into your experience? And so, like, not allowing yourself to be miserable but finding a way to function that feels authentic to you. And so really like thinking about those things and clinging onto those things, because it it is easy to feel like, man, none of these people are like me. Nobody understands me. Like nobody cares that they don't understand Mm -hmm. um, anything about who I am. And it's really easy to just get into a place of like self-pity and loathing and all of that. But instead, like it is what it is. And at the end of the day, like, I understand a lot of these majority schools, like they're providing you a great education um, in your formative years. And so keep that in mind too, like use it for what it is, but like find ways to um, still like maintain your authentic self in those spaces. So I joined like the black student union. I was in the band, but like within the band, I joined like a small subset of black, um, black women that did like jazz on the side. And so, you know, I was in that environment, but I still found ways to make it me. And, Mm -hmm. but as I thought about college, I really wanted to do that in a way that like, Hey, I don't have to find these things that I can cling on to. Like, I want to be immersed in that. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was when I had the choice of where I wanted to go. Um, And so that's, that was, that is what I'd say to, to the children um, now, the youth now is, you know, find, figure out what are the things that are important to you and things that bring you joy and figure out how you can incorporate those into whatever your situation is right now. That is such amazing advice. And that actually makes me feel a lot prouder because in the the program that I have my young people in, like that's really what it's all about. It's about finding those things that make you your authentic self and really making sure that we're, you know, pouring into them. Um, So that makes me feel good because I'm just like, okay, like, you know, they're finding their things through this program too. So that's awesome. Um, And that was well put, very well put. Um, So thank you for that, Maya. Um, Next question, right? Because 2020 came to destroy. Like, I feel like- (laughs) Yes, say that again, (laughs) Yes, uh, to destroy completely from the foundation. I think that, um, well, for starters, I mean, racial issues have always been a thing. Yeah. They never went away. Racism never went away. Like, we can't, you know, make it seem like 2020 was at all, but it really just came and destroyed everything because I feel like we couldn't put it all back in a box. We couldn't ignore what was happening in our society. We couldn't continue to turn a blind eye to the abuse and the violence and you know just the mistrust the corrupt politics 2020 was just a shit show mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <say> the least. <laughs> yes so 
I want to ask, as somebody who has just been so vocal and active um, and supportive of the Black and Brown community, like, what was that like for you? What was 2020 like for you mentally and emotionally, spiritually, and more specifically in regards to, like, just the Black experience? Like, what was that like for you last year? Yeah, so I will say, like, 2020 was definitely a period of reflection um, about a lot of the choices and that I've made in my life, where I am currently, um, things that I see for my future. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, professionally, the company that I work for, I think a lot of people really struggled with how their company responded to a lot of what was going on. And we spent so much of our life working, no matter what you Mm. choose to do for work, you spend so much of your life working. And so I gained an appreciation for where I was. Um, I will say professionally, I was very pleasantly surprised by the response from, from my company. Um, At Mm. the time we had a, a day of solidarity where we had like a program that was put on by our, um, uh, global diversity and inclusion office and mm-hmm. following that it was just take the rest of the day to reflect like the respect for the mm-hmm. fact that like we are dealing with this yes like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor are not our relatives but they are a part of our community and like right. we are hurting and we are grieving and that acknowledgement to just give the time to process that and having people that genuinely wanted to learn like it it is disappointing that it took that for people to get there but the fact that people are there like having the uh, that opening the door for us to have those conversations and that ultimately rolled into an indianapolis day of solidarity um that was indianapolis wide um Mm-hmm. different leaders from the community and it was sponsored by our company and so I think like from that perspective it, it gave me um some comfort that like I was in a good place with like professionally which is right. like a big part of you know how I spend my time um so that was really really positive um and on the other side I would say it also kind of had me reflect on you know, what are the businesses I support? Um, as you know, uh, through talking to, to uh, your, your god sister, Brianna, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've always, always, always supported um, Black businesses and, um, you know, done everything I can, you know, within uh, kind of, you know, day-to-day stuff, self-care, all of that. Um, but I would say that there were still a couple of majority businesses that I supported and there was nothing wrong with that um, until all of this happened. And I started to really scrutinize, you know, what are you posting on social media when all of these things are happening? Did you speak up in support of the black community? And for people that didn't, I addressed it. Mm. And there was a very big turning point for me. Like, again, I've always been pro-black business. But I had reached out to um, a nail salon that I was scheduled. I remember I booked like in April for like a June appointment because I was like, you know what? I want to support them. I know they're going to be struggling with everything being shut down. Mm-hmm. And, the, and it wasn't that they weren't active on social media. They were just active talking about anything other than what was going on. Mm. And I'm not saying that you have to say, you know, I'm, I'm not prescriptive on what what you need to say but you need to say something and so I have sent an email to basically say I want to cancel my appointment um, because I will no longer be supporting businesses that don't publicly support black lives Mm. and I went on to say if watching a man be strangled in the street is not enough like lose his life in the street (laughs) is not enough for you to speak up what will be Mm. and that woman that received my email canceled my appointment and did not respond to my email. No, ah, no response. So much worse. (laughs) No response. That's hard. No. So you do it. Yeah. And the story goes on. I I sent her another email to let her know how I, (laughs) but uh, we'll get into that part of the story, but it was also just a wake up call for me. Like they don't give a shit about our black dollars. And if they don't, I will convert my whole life <laughs> to supporting black businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, I've always been about the black businesses, but that was like a huge turning point for me of like, no, as many, as many aspects in my life as like the black community will allow, I will support black. 
That is so dope. And it's an inspiration to me because again, every time I'm seeing this, I'm just like, wow, like that is so like when you really think about it, everything that you can get in like these bigger brand stores, Walmart, Target, Amazon, whatever, like they're legit are small businesses doing the same exact thing that really could benefit from it. And I think it was Killer Mike. I'm pretty sure it was Killer Mike um, that was speaking about how um, our, the black dollar literally only lasts hours within the community. And mm-hmm. that's when I had to sit back and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Like something's not right here. <laughs> and I was like, no, this is like when you look at the numbers projected, I was like, wow. And then we talk about like the Asian community, their money filters through that within for like a, at least a month within yep. the same community. And it's just like it's so crazy how, um, you know, economically we've been disadvantaged just by the perception of society because i feel like it's really a societal thing everything is just easier like amazon it's easier two-day shipping you have prime and you know walmart or pick it up at your you know it's cheaper it's faster it's easier but that has literally been kind of like that shield that's kind Mm -hmm. of kept and suppressed and oppressed our community for so long. Um, so, you know, again, that whole buy black and pro black businesses, I think is just such a dope movement. And I just want you to know that you truly do inspire me because it's like, it's life for you. And I love the fact that you own that. I love that you sent that email. Like, it's so dope that, you know, you care that much. And I feel like um, that's also something that a lot of people wouldn't have the guts to really do i remember getting to a point after kind of going through the same thing where i'm just seeing people just being so inactive about what was happening and not speaking up not um responding or supporting or sending out any type of messages about what was happening and just finally getting to a point and it's just like yo if you support anything trump if you're for him if you're his policies if you don't want to speak up please stop following me Yep. Please stop following yep. me. Like I do. You are not welcome here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like you are not welcome because it's one of those things that just like you said, it's not about like I one thing I really wish I could have done was go gone and been a part of like a protest. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. just because of the nature of COVID-19, mm-hmm. having three kids, like you know, it just was yeah. a risk that I wasn't comfortable taking. Um yeah. But, you know, by sharing these posts and talking about what was happening, sharing my feelings and having people read that, I feel like I made some type of impact. It still helps me feel, you know, like I'm, I'm doing something. And, you know, this is the same thing that I teach my young people too. Like they are, they probably post about stuff and social justice and black rights more than I do. Um, But it's so inspiring to see that. And I agree with you, like you said earlier, this new generation with the way, you know, things have kind of taken this turn in society with this Mm -hmm. pro black push. I feel like I'm very optimistic about the future. I'll say. Absolutely. About the future and how our young black and brown people are going to grow up in this next generation. I feel like this new wave is going to be super dope. Talking about, you know, Biden's cabinet, how he has all these new people, diverse. It's, It's exciting. It's very exciting. I think, you know, we can't ignore the fact that, you know, everything's still not where it needs to be, but I am optimistic. I try not to be a pessimist when it comes to some of these things for sure. No, absolutely. We have to acknowledge where we are, but keep our eyes forward to the future. And I think, you know, our black and brown youth are going to grow up in a much better environment. But I also think like uh, we've made a lot of progress with majority as well, because I have um, some, uh, not very many, I will <laughs> admittedly <Right>. say, but <laughs> I have a few majority followers that had reached out and said like, wow, I didn't even like, I, I had one, I had never thought about like who was behind the brands that I was supporting. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of like majority people think about women, but outside of that, that's kind of where it stops. 
Um, and then too, like, oh, I didn't even realize that black businesses did all of this. So like, it's just also like just the awareness. And I think about like this wow. next generation of majority children that are seeing all of this and being exposed to this. And it's less about what their parents are choosing to teach them and more about like what they choose to invest their time looking into because they have technology right at their fingertips whenever they want. Um, it's just really, it encourages me as well to see that like holistically, I think we will just be in a better place as this younger generation becomes adults. Yes. No, this is definitely a time to remember. I literally tell, you know, my kids as well as my teens, like this is, we're living through history. Like yes nobody's gonna forget (laughs) for real trust me for real that's it I feel like it's overwhelming and I think that's the biggest thing too and this kind of ties into my next question is like um I think for the wider scale of people right And, and more specifically the people who may have the privilege of not having to experience these things daily like I mean you know police brutality isn't something that was foreign, right? Uh, Black men being profiled wasn't foreign, but that's just because of the community in which I was raised in, the people I knew, the things that I seen, you know, so these things weren't foreign concepts to me, right? Um, But on a wider scale, like when everything started happening and just being so open and out in the open, so many people just kind of, how do I say? I'm trying to find like the right word to say it because I'm trying. They couldn't deny it. They couldn't claim ignorance anymore. Yes. That's really what it comes oh down God, to. They could no go. longer claim ignorance. If anyone says that they don't know, I call it willful ignorance. You have chosen to right. not educate yourself. And the thing is, you don't even have to try that hard. It is right there for you at any point. Yeah. And like we talked about like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, they lost their lives. But you also have things like what whatever her name central park amy or whatever her name yes that profiled that bird watcher like do you understand i mean they had someone that walked through uh, one of the district attorneys walked through what happens when someone is incarcerated and the amount of time that people spend especially in new york in the jail before they even make it to court and if you don't have money to bail yourself out whether or not you actually did anything you could be in there for months think about what that means you lose your job you can't pay your bills you likely lose your housing i mean your entire life can fall apart because some woman decided that today was the day she's going to racially profile a black bird watcher right you cannot be ignorant to those things anymore it's right there in your face yes and i feel like that i that key term ignorance is bliss i feel like this is the time where that was just kind of totally inappropriate and unacceptable. And even to the point where I've had people kind of tell me like, why are you telling your kids these things? Like they're young. They're ch-. And I'm just like, um, they need to know the reality of this, you know? And it's harder mm-hmm. too, because they're sitting in classrooms with kids whose parents fully support Trump. And Mm -hmm. their kids then are now saying things like I remember one time my daughter was in class and she like literally muted herself and ran to me and was like, Mom, this boy just said Trump's a good president. And I was looking at her and I'm like laughing because she was just so disgusted. She was like, can you yeah. believe that? And I was like, I'm like, you know, Tina, everybody feels, you know, differently, his parents, but she just couldn't understand because for me, it's just one of those things. And I try not to you know, it's not about teaching them to dislike white people, because I feel Mm -hmm. like that's what the narrative tends to kind of come across as, or people try to portray it as. And it's like, it Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with that. As long as you treat me as I'm a human, I can Mm -hmm. treat you the same way. And that's always been the issue. So, you know, me and my kids have had these more difficult conversations, but it's also, you know, disheartening to me because now my kids kind of they're iffy around police officers right and my daughter used to go to preschool in the boston police headquarters and we got along with those officers you know like so now after kind of hearing these stories and knowing what's happening in society like you know my kids are viewing the world in a very different way that saddens me but i just don't feel like as a parent had i not taught them these things I'd be setting them up for failure because you know my biggest fear and you know I've had a really deep conversation with Brianna one time um 
our conversations tend to be debates when it comes about heavier topics like this. And it was just going back and forth. And I was expressing her to, to her, my biggest fear um, is, you know, especially with them in a predominantly white school and befriending, you know, predominantly white friends being in these mm-hmm. communities that God forbid they're ever in a situation. And again, this is the concept that I think a lot of people miss when we preach these things is that, I can say that, you know, my son is a good kid. My son, you know, is educated. He's respectable. He has all these things. But any officer could come by and look at my son and 100% profile him. And that's it. And I can lose my son. And that could be... So it's a very um, scary thing to be a parent in these times because, you know, as much as I want to teach you know, this peace and love and we're all human. It's like, we can't even get there anymore. Like I can't even fathom the BS anymore. Like literally Black History Month, you know, it's coming up. We're talking about Martin Luther King, his birthday. And you know, like the bullshit activity was just like, how can you make a difference with your hands? And my, uh, you know, Martin Luther King was a leader because he wanted everyone to be treated. And it's just like, okay, cool. But we need to talk about some real stuff here. Like, let's talk about yeah. the racism. Let's talk about why Martin Luther King was doing these things. Because, you know, I just feel like we start teaching a falsehood yep. of the real issue. And then, you know, we have kids going into the world confused and lost. Yep. And then, you know, having these uncomfortable situations. And it, it's very difficult. So, you know, I, I totally agree with you. And I love the way you put that. Because ignorance is no longer bliss. And I'm so yes. happy that, you know, we're at a time where people can no longer use that excuse. I didn't know. I didn't know it was that bad. Or mm-hmm. those, I, I really, really dislike when people try to say, because one person or because mm-hmm. this happened to, and it's just like, no, 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 man. no, 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 <laughs> we're going to stop that right there. Because right. if you can list the names of all the people, the black people who have lost their lives, just to injustice and just to being black, just for mm-hmm. being black, they have lost their lives. You know, it's not okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it's definitely been difficult, but pushing past that a little bit, how do you kind of regroup? Because I mm-hmm. find myself, you know, when some of these things are like the cap, the Capitol. Yeah. Capitol Hill yeah. happened. I think that was probably the most, devastated i've Mm -hmm. been and not to Mm -hmm. say because you know all of the other situations we experienced in 2020 were top-notch devastating horrible disgusting in all different forms but the the difference with the capitol hill building was i really found myself having to sit back and re-analyze how like i just didn't know how to present myself to my young people anymore. I preach to them, your voice matters. Your life matters. Fight for what you believe. You, you know, you can make a difference. Stand up for, you know, yourself, your neighbors, your friends, your families, whatever. But at that moment, it really hit me that it's just like, no matter what I say right now in society, we are not equal. Mm -hmm. And it was devastating because I'm just like, how do I, sit in front of them right now and try to convince them that the work that I'm doing with them right now is going to make a difference. Absolutely. You know, and it was hard because I do believe that it does like a hundred percent Maya. I believe that, you know, even just having a conversation is impactful, but I had to really sit with myself and it really took me like two days to regroup. I hopped off social media. I just couldn't do it because I'm just like, this shit isn't fair. It's not fair. So like what kind of things do you do or have you done to kind of address these things on a more personal level? Yeah. So I think one of the things, and I posted about this in another context, which I can't even remember right now, but Mm -mm. I think the biggest thing for me is like allowing myself to feel my feelings before I move on. And Mm allowing myself to be angry. I mean, I remember one of my business partners, and this leads into the next thing, one mm-hmm. of my business partners called me as I'm watching the, the, the stuff happen, the foolishness happening at the Capitol. Right. And I flat out told her, I'm not in a good space right now. 
Mm. I am disgusted by what I am seeing. And I will tell you as well as someone, I mean, I went to Howard. So I lived in DC for four years. Mm -hmm. You can't just walk up there. So it's right. also like what is happening, but then also dissecting all of the circumstances that would have had to surround this that allowed it to happen, which means yep. it was allowed to happen in a lot of ways. Will I say that I think that everyone was fully informed that that's how it was going to go down? Probably not. But to some extent, this was allowed to happen. To see videos of people that work for the government opening side doors for people, to see videos of people moving the barricades, all of that had to yes. happen. Because when I tell you that security is tight, it is tight. Um, and I mean, a lot of it is allowing myself to be angry before I, you know, kind of regroup. Because I think just pushing past that anger builds resentment. And so I really had to process why I was angry about it. Um, and right. I think too, like a lot of times we leave, we try to leave that kind of stuff as, you know, that's personal life stuff. And not that I think you need to bring your baggage to work, but like mm -hmm. if someone asks me how I'm doing, one thing that I refuse to do about things that are impacting my community is just say I'm fine. If there's something that's happening, I am no longer for the sake of protecting their safe space going to not speak on things that are publicly happening for all to see and not have an opinion about it. Right. Right. And that's a, so that's an interesting thing too. Um, and especially with work, because I remember, and I think the, so the last interview that I just published with Tiana, her and I worked for the same organization when all of these things were happening, we would have open dialogues and you know again like she said there were those key token terms like a safe space um to talk mm -hmm. about these things and you know i remember in the beginning it wasn't until she kind of was just like i'm not going and i was like mm. she was like yeah i don't have to leave these situations <laughs> yeah. in front yeah. of people who are not in my personal life this is affecting me personally this hits mm -hmm. home in so many different ways i do not have to discuss this publicly and i had to sit back with that because i was like okay because my lens is always from like the passionate youth worker in the sense that I have these uncomfortable conversations daily. Like there's no yeah. topic unturned with me. So I'm used to having this, these uncomfortable conversations, but I found in these situations, I found myself looking at people differently. Absolutely. And that was the harder because I'm like, now I still got to work with you. And now I yeah. see where your headspace is at. This is a little uncomfortable for me. So, you know, I'm happy that you had a, a better experience, I feel, throughout this process um, mm -hmm. of navigating that and being allowed that space to process these things because it was, it was hard. It was hard yeah. making it through 2020 and just being somebody, a part of that community that was just under attack. I feel like I, I, I can't even... I don't even know. I, I wonder what's going to be said about this period in time. I, I do wonder too. I, we talk, my husband and I talk about that all the time. Like, I wonder from what lens this will be written because it can yeah. take a lot of different forms. Um, but I think like to your point about work, you know, while I felt collectively very supportive, um, that step, Trump has never, that lives in my head rent-free every day, all day. Right. Because as someone that works in HR, um, you know, my job is to make sure that we are always operating in the best interests of our employees to make sure people are treated fairly. Um, and that is an internal struggle that I have when I'm fairly certain someone that I'm working with is, is a Trump supporter or is mm. not in support of what I consider to be the right side of history as it relates to racial issues. Um, and so while it's not um, as prevalent and it's not how I would describe our general culture, I do still have those moments where I very much struggle with working with certain people um, and having to keep my professionalism at the forefront um, because, you know, that work is not the time or place to air out, you know, to, to kind of, go through politics and all of that. Right. But like, when I say if I'm having a bad day because something is going on within the black community, I will allow you <laughs> the space right. to have your opinion, but you also need to give me some grace that like, I refuse to not be a whole person when I come to work anymore. Right, right. 
and that and that's totally fair i feel like that is amazing that you know you have that you know that foundation and that grounding to just be like no this is it because i feel like a lot of people are forced Mm -hmm. to just you know i i feel like and it's gonna sound weird saying it but like i feel like they're forced to be black in certain spaces um Mm -hmm. in the sense that it's like well we know this is happening how do you feel what are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, yep, no, 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 exactly. Yep, like, no, 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 you don't, you don't get to do that to me. You don't get yep. to call me and ask me about this. And I even had a situation with, um, you know, a, a parent kind of calling me and kind of just being like, oh, this is just so unfair. And, you know, I just, I hate this. And, you know, we should all be treated equal. And I'm just kind of like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I can't make you yeah. feel better about being white like i i I just can't i i don't have the the official black card to trump your whiteness because you feel uncomfortable with what your people are doing right now or how your people are being portrayed and i feel like you know again this time has been very trying for people of color because i feel like people are looking to us to to make it better right like it's it's like always um you know well what can we do to make it better and like and it's just like no you need to let us sit where we're at right now <laughs> because right now yes. we're pissed the hell off you guys still learn doing yes. what you to do let us breathe you know i think this this transition of power right now with biden um and that other guy i'm not gonna bring him up but you know i feel like this transition has definitely brought like a more positive cloud um in the sense that i feel like a lot of us can breathe again there's not this i feel like every day we were like on the news what is trump doing today what is happening in the white house what is the you know like it, it and at any point that all hell could break loose. Yeah, I mean, and really, then, we were worried that all hell could break loose at any point. At any moment. And we were stuck at home on top of it. Like, there was yeah. no way that we couldn't get go to bars and go check. Like, we couldn't do anything for fear of COVID. Holidays were different. It was just such a horrible combination of circumstances that I think really, really yeah. just, it, it didn't serve us um well when it came to just kind of like you know our emotional balances and spiritual and all of these things but you know i'm happy we're making it through you know to leave that on a more positive note i guess we're we're definitely yes and that inauguration amazing like yeah let's get into that poetry everything was dope everything was dope yeah yeah and i i will say on a on a positive side one of the most positive things that i heard um, in support of the black community is one of the town halls we had one of a majority person said it is not black people's job to be your sounding board or to educate you on mm. all things black and how black people feel they brought up the fact that one a lot of information is at your fingertips but two if you say that you're an ally then you need to formulate your own opinion about how you feel about this. And it's right. not your black friend or your black coworkers job to educate you. And so like, that is a statement that has always like really, really stuck with me as I think mm-hmm. about the future and like what positive things are, are to come because of just the pure chaos that we lived through yes. in 2020. Yeah. And that is one that I really think about. Like it, I think that there will be, and it obviously is not going to be everybody, but I do think like statements like that where it's like, no, like for one, y'all ain't been listening to us for all these years because there ain't nothing mm-hmm. happening that we haven't been telling you for yep. decades. For once. So let's start there. You didn't hear our voice before. It's not our job to make you hear it now. Um, but two, you need to educate yourself. Like you, if you say you're an ally, then you need to make the choice to be better. Um, and so as I think about just like, even just the people, our age that are hearing that message and the children that they will raise to be socially conscious. And I, that gives me a lot of hope for the future. And so I think we saw the ugly, ugly, ugly side of America in 2020, but I do think that there are a lot of positive things that will come from it. Um, because it's opened people's eyes and it's pushed people to action, even if they're not, you know, out in the streets. Like, it's just, I feel a change in just how we operate. Um, And that makes me very optimistic for the future. Yes, no, for sure. And I think that that is really, I think I feel this shift of like the community coming together and finally just kind of 
being in support of one another. I do feel that as well. And, you know, that is also 100% feeding into this optimism that I have. And, you know, with that, like this conversation has been so amazing. Like Maya, again, thank you, thank you, thank you for having this conversation with me. But before we even get into like the send off and your last message, how do you go about finding black owned businesses? Because, you know, it's something I, I really yes. want to leave our listeners with. Um, but like, what kind of ways do you go about finding it? Is it all social media online? Like, how do you go about? Yeah. Finding? So social media, I started, um, I remember when Instagram first started allowing you to follow hashtags. I was like, why would I follow a hashtag? Like it just felt like a weird <laughs> thing to do. Right. Um, but I started following hashtag black owned businesses, hashtag black woman businesses, hashtag black owned skincare. I mean, anything that was aligned with the products or the services that I was looking for, I started following those hashtags. And so that leads me to different businesses. Um, and the other thing too, that I love about our black community is that we push for each other. So a lot of the black businesses that I follow put me onto other black businesses because the you know, help as you climb mentality that we have within our community. I love that about us. Um, and so there's a lot of businesses that I found just through word of mouth of other businesses that, that I have come across. Um, and anytime I plan to, to buy something that I don't need immediately. And when I say need, I really do treat it as a need because to your earlier point mm -hmm. about the instant gratification of an Amazon or a Walmart and like you do, I, you know, Full transparency and I tell this to everybody that asks me about black businesses you do have mm -hmm. to be more planful about the things that you're going to buy mm -hmm. but that's because these things aren't just sitting on the shelves there is a person or a small team of people that are hand making in a lot of situations these products and so they are going to take more time um, but if there is a something that I'm looking for that's a want or something that I need but not right now um, I will go through Instagram or go onto these different, you know, We Buy Black is one of them. Um, there's mm. several different websites that, um, that publish a lot about Black businesses. And so I'm very planful and thoughtful um, about, you know, when, when and how I go about um, purchasing things. And so I think it's just one of those things, if you get in the habit before you buy anything, just look into, um, you know, how can I do this in a way that supports a black business? It's actually not difficult at all. Um, and so it's just really just changing the mindset. And again, as I mentioned, like I've always been pro black business, but having just everything that happened this year, like really get me into like, no, like I need to do everything I can to support this, the, the, the black community and black businesses. And like, I'm already doing this. Why am I not sharing it with other people? Right. And, you know, really just as I think about, you know, I, I was able to go out and protest um, a couple of times, but you know, that's, that's a long-term fight. That's mm -hmm. the long game. But as I think about today, right now, what can I do to impact and continue to boost and promote the Black community? It is helping to spread people's businesses and spread awareness of people's businesses and hoping to inspire someone that's sitting thinking about starting a business that's not sure if they have a market. Like, I, it's just all of it that goes into, you know, what it means to support not only a small business where you're supporting an individual, not an enterprise, um, and then a black business on top of that and just seeing, you know, how much more we can do with our black dollar than to just go with what's convenient. You get better quality on top of the fact that you are lifting your community. Right. No, for sure. And that will, thank you for that. Let me start there because I didn't know that you can follow hashtags. So I just learned something today. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> Cause I had yeah, no yeah. idea that that was, <laughs> so look at that. you one step closer, right? Um, and I also yes. think that, you know, you you bring in and highlighting that, that um, you were already doing it and now it's just a matter of the educational piece and letting people know these things too. Because I just really feel like one person can really make a difference. Because it's like, how many other people are seeing your stories and now they're buying black, you know? Like, I, I just think mm -hmm. it's really inspirational that you kind of just have this approach that, you know, it's not even about seeing the reward. It's just knowing that, you're doing something to help. And I love that concept. I love it so much. Um, so before I let you go, I want to ask you for one gem. 
We've talked right. about a lot of things today, and I know this might be a, a bit harder to kind of narrow down <laughs> in on one thing you want to leave our listeners with. Um, but what is one thing that you really want everyone to walk away from this conversation, knowing, feeling, you know, however you want to take that? Yeah, um, I think the one gem I would leave is be intentional with how you how you carry yourself, how you spend your dollar. I mean, all of it matters. And I will even say, like, I was very intentional. I'll give another example. In Q4, I said, any dollar I spend outside of groceries will be spent with a Black-owned business. Mm-hmm. And that meant Christmas gifts. That meant, I mean, the whole of it. Everything, anytime I spent money, I spent it with a Black business. And that was an intentional thing that I said. And I found probably 50 new businesses that I didn't know about just because I had things that I knew I wanted to buy for specific people. And I was like, Nope, I don't care if I can run to target and get it. I will find a black owned business that makes this. And I think just that intentionality made such a big difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just really, you know, it's easy to impulse buy things on Amazon. I get it. It shows up the next day is right there on your phone totally understand but like for anything that you want to make a change with anything like just be intentional and like stick to it don't go for easy be intentional and stick with what you said yes thank you for that i love that wise words from the beautiful maya thank you so much maya for that um and thank you everybody for tuning in today maya thank you for sharing your amazing energy with me today um your energy was appreciated deeply for sure, for sure. Well, thank you for having me. This was great. Yes, and I'm pretty sure we'll be doing this again. I feel like all of my guests for this season have just been top-notch that like I feel like the conversation just isn't finished. So just keep your eyes and ears open for me to for my next invitation <laughs> to have you on again. Awesome. Sounds good. <laughs> for sure. So this is Project Legacy, the podcast. Till next time, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Project Legacy, the podcast. If you would like to continue the conversation or be a guest or even have a topic suggestion, email me at projectlegacythepodcast at gmail.com and follow me at Baby Mommy Therapy on Instagram. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Till next time, blessings. Mm-hmm.